leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. With 2016 drawing to a close and the biotech industry gearing up for the annual J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco, we continued our holiday tradition of checking in with Adam Feuerstein, senior columnist for TheStreet.com. We spoke to Feuerstein about the year in biotech that was, the winners and losers of 2016, and what to look for at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference and beyond. Adam, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Danny, for having me again. Yep. This has become an annual tradition to end the year and kick off the new one with a conversation with you about the year that was and the year that will be. Normally, I wouldn't begin with your list of best and worst CEOs, but there was one pick that stood out for me on the best list. That was Ed K. F. Sarepta, which won a controversial approval for its Duchenne muscular dystrophy drug. Why K? Well, I think as I as I mentioned, I think that you know, just like the just like the decision to approve Exondus was you know was a controversial one, you know, probably choosing Ed K as one of you know one of the best biopharma CEOs of the year is you know, also controversial. Um, and, you know, simply I think that he just you know he basically he got the he got the drug over the finish line, you know, um, and it was a it, it, it was a difficult it was a difficult process it was a difficult review. Obviously, there was a lot of controversy, like we said, and you know he delivered on uh, what he was supposed to do, and which was you know get that drug approved and and make it available to the Duchenne patients who need it. Uh, we can sort of debate, uh, you know, whether or not that was appropriate or not, and how the launch has gone, and all those things. But uh, you know, it just seemed to me like it was he was an appropriate uh, selection for that list. Well, it, it was an interesting moment for the FDA while the rare disease patient community viewed it as a victory. I'm not so sure about that. Documents show that there was great dissension in the ranks at FDA and Woodcock muscled the approval through. Well, while some people view this as the FDA being more responsive to the patient community, do you think there'll be pushback from staff going forward, raising barriers, or whether this reflects what an FDA under Trump may look like where efficacy is just not that important? Well, I, those are all great questions. I, I don't, I don't know if I have any answers for you. I think you know, it really is kind of remains to be seen. Is probably what we have to, what we you know, the best thing to say. Uh, you know, that I think Woodcock and others at the FDA have kind of have kind of called out the Exondus decision and review as a as sort of a one off. Uh, that they don't they they don't see it as precedent setting, uh, which you know 
means that if a company sort of, if it was another company that came to the FDA with the sort of same set of circumstances that, you know, that decision would might not be the same, right? So that it's not like anybody can come to the FDA now and say, oh, you know, you approve Sarepta, you need to approve our drug. Now, again, we have to see how that goes, right? And so in the next year or two or whatever, uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, again, the critics, you know, the critics look at look at it differently, right? And people who have criticized what what Woodcock, what John Woodcock did, you know, they think that this is a sort of a dumbing down of uh, of of the approval standards, and it sets a bad precedent. So, you know, I, I can understand both sides, but we'll we'll have to see how it goes. Well, we, we've got a, a new administration coming in. The what do you think this is going to mean for the biopharmaceutical industry? We've got Padufa coming up, healthcare re-reform on the table. And, and does the threat of U.S. government action on drug pricing go away or intensify? You know, I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty about all of those questions, which is one of the reasons why I, I, I can't say that I'm super bullish about going into 2017 if, if we're sort of looking at stock prices, uh, you know, which is kind of what, what I look at. Um, you know, we, we sort of, 2016 was a bad year for, for biotech stocks because of a lot of concern about, uh, you know, drug pricing and what the government may or may not do. Now we're moving into 2017 and it seems like there's a mixed bag, right? It seems like we have some new legislation that might uh, sort of open up the FDA a little bit more, make drug approvals a little bit easier in certain circumstances. But we also have a lot of bipartisan support for doing something about drug pricing. Now, what that is, no one really knows <laughs> yet. Um, there's a lot of, there's still a lot of talk about it. And we've got Trump who kind of, he's kind of been all over the place about it. Um, we don't really know who's, you know, who, he hasn't chosen an FDA chief yet. Uh, there's going to be, a, you know, they're going to try to a, a repeal Obamacare, replace it with we don't know yet. So I think there's so much uncertainty and, and you know, uncertainty is not necessarily a good thing. Right? Uh, this is an industry that does not like uncertainty. Yeah, people do not like uncertainty. So I think that all these questions, you know, we sort of go into January, uh, and we go into 2017 not knowing uh, what's going to happen. And, you know, that's a that's a problem. I mean, that's kind of an overhang. It's sort of a dark cloud that sort of sits over everybody that we sort of figure out what what actually will happen. So 2016, I think people were expecting a, a major break in the glass ceiling. And in fact, the glass ceiling did break. You went with Elizabeth Holmes as your first female <laughs> worst CEO of the year, the CEO of Theranos. Uh, why, why Elizabeth Holmes? Well, I just, you know, it, it, it seemed like a no-brainer, right? Uh, that was just an easy, an easy pick. Uh, you know, you just have to sort of look at how, you know, this is a, you know, this blood diagnostic company that was kind of heralded as kind of the Silicon Valley unicorn that was going to revolutionize the blood testing business. And, you know, what it turns out, obviously, because of, you know, a lot of the intrepid uh, reporting of John Carradue, at, you know, at the at the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, I mean, this great reporting this year on, on Theranos. And the story seems to have been just a mirage, you know, that there really wasn't a lot of there there you know, when it, was it came a to... Uh, Theranos, and uh, you know more than that, there was it's like a lot covering up of of bad things that were going on behind the scenes. And so, you know, for all those reasons, 
you know, Elizabeth Holmes was an, was she, you know, that was, that was probably one of the easy, you know, easier picks of worst CEO that I've done. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time now and, uh, there really was, <laughs> there really was, it was, you know, it was one of those years where you could have, you could have got a lot of ways. There were a lot of candidates out there for worst CEO of 2016, but uh, she was sort of, uh, you know, she was definitely at the top. It really has been a remarkable story where, you know, shrouded in secrecy with a board of really Washington heavyweights. It looked like some kind of Silicon Valley superstar. How do you explain how this company got away with what it did for as long as it did? Well, I think, you know, I think you sort of nailed it, right? I mean, it, it, I think they sort of wowed everybody with this, you know, with this advisory board and the amount of money they had raised and you know it was a compelling story you know stanford university dropout who you know comes up with this idea and um you know gets all this funding and you know how how could you know how could someone like that with with, with so much sort of sort of star power behind her how could it be you know how could it not work uh but i think it goes to show you that you know healthcare uh healthcare technology healthcare is it's a it's not like it's not like uh coming up with Facebook, it's there, you know, Silicon Valley has this idea that, you know, we just sort of apply technology to everything and, and you know, we can fix all the problems of the world. And, you know, there are some things that are, you know, that are more difficult and, and science is hard. You know, you and I, we, you know, we, we sort of were in the biotech world and the drug development world. And you know that even the best companies can't figure stuff out and that failure is sort of endemic to, uh, to the world that we inhabit here, you know, in, in the drug and biotech world. And, uh, Silicon Valley maybe learned that lesson the hard way when it comes to you know when it comes to Theranos. So speaking of endemic failure, you know it, it strikes me as I thought about 2016 that it was a year that seemed more defined by failure than success. That there really weren't a large number of exciting drug approvals, and and there were much more notable failures. What's your take on the year in terms of drug approvals and and, and clinical failures? Well, I think the, the drug the drug approval stuff. I, I can't. I mean, you're right. I don't think there was sort of a there wasn't really a breakthrough. T-centric, maybe. Drug, you know, to, so for lack of a better term, that you know, sort of that in 2016. I think a lot of that, you know, we sort of put. You know, obviously, you sort of look at the calendar year. You know, the, the, things are cyclical. You know, drug approvals are cyclical, right? I mean, you know, it depends on when companies apply for uh, for approval and when they're when they're actually approved. So, like, the number of drug approvals per year is always going to fluctuate, you know, and so it's hard to look at sort of one year compared to the compared to another year to say, oh, it's down and why is it down? Um, but I agree with you that there really wasn't, um, there wasn't like a huge compelling uh, drug approval this year, maybe as opposed to years past. Um, more maybe just sort of incremental kind of things this year. Um, and failure, you know, anytime, any, anytime a sort of an industry is under the gun, like it was sort of under this cloud this year, which, you know, we really from, I mean, you know, from the, from the get go, right. From like, Jan from like January 1st, 2016, you know, it seemed like biotech, it was just not going to be biotech's year, right. It was just a bad year from the beginning. So when you have a year like that, there's very little margin of error and, and, and kind of failures and setbacks are sort of magnified in that kind of year, right. They, they're, they're just, you can't really brush them off. Well, Lily's Alzheimer's drug failure has now shifted the attention to Biogen. Any reason to think they will fare differently with their Alzheimer's drug? You know, it's a great question. It's one of the you know, it's one of those things where that 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 debate will go through 2017 because I don't think we're going to get data on that really definitive data until you know 2018 at the earliest. So, 
that's a debate we'll be we can probably have the same conversation a year from now um again you look at the data and you say you know got it you know you look at the little data and you say look another beta amyloid drug fails uh, a long list of them have failed so why should the biogen drug be any different but of, of course you know there's always some sort of scientific plausibility People look at that and say, this drug will be different. You know, this one gets into the brain. This one is removing plaques from the brain, whereas lilies didn't. And therefore, it has a better shot of getting uh, of working. You know, that's sort of all. That's kind of the conclusion that came out of the, the Alzheimer's meeting uh, that, that occurred just, you know, or, you know, a little bit early this month. You know, it, it, that's a debate. I think the debate, you know, the debate will just rage on until until we get those data. From biogen, you know, again, we have to wait a little while for it. But, uh, but you know, Alzheimer's is one of those diseases where there's such an un, there's such an unmet medical need for a uh, a drug that will can be truly truly disease modifying um, that it's going to be a target that bio you know biotechs and, and pharmaceutical companies will just always go after because it is such a big it, there is such a there's such a, such a need there for something. Well, what about cancer immunotherapies? Will will this be the big story in 2017? Are there other therapeutic categories you think will excite investors? Yeah, uh, cancer immunotherapy, you know, has been and will remain a, a, a big topic, um, something that will people focus on a lot. I mean, I think we're we're sort of getting out of the sort of monotherapy phase of cancer immunotherapy, and we're moving rapidly into sort of combinations of cancer immunotherapies to see how those work. So I think we're going to get a lot more data. In, in 2017 will be a big year. For combination therapies, so you know AstraZeneca and Roche and uh, and Merck and Bristol Myers, all sort of the big names in cancer therapy, they're all working on combinations of cancer immunotherapies to see if we can boost the response. Because you know the patients who respond to immunotherapies, cancer patients who respond to them, respond very well, but it's still a minority of patients that respond to these to these therapies. So what we really need to do is, is to broaden out the response. We need to get more patients responding and responding longer. So the idea is, if you know, can we instead of using one drug, can we use two drugs? Uh, you know, very simplistically. And and we're going to get, especially particularly in lung cancer, which, you know, which is the biggest commercial market for cancer drugs. We're going to get, you know, 2017 is a big year for combination therapies, combination cancer immunotherapies in lung cancer. Gilead seems to have lost some of its shine in 2016. A company is facing declining revenue. Investors don't see growth coming from its pipeline. Or are we going to see Gilead make a major acquisition in 2017? <laughs> we, I think we, we've been talking about this one for like two years now. Uh, you know, you really, you kind of hope so in some way. It's, Gilead's, it's, it's one of those really befuddling stories. It's such a great company that has, Sort of, in some ways, sort of a victim of its own success because you know revenues and and earnings just accelerated so much when the hepatitis C drugs were first approved. You know they were treating so many patients, um, and they you know now that 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 revenue is sort of on the decline, you know investors are you know it's the classic you know, what have you done for me lately, right? And so uh, people sort of want to see them come up with something that will, you know, kind of a, a road, a, you know, sort of a pathway to, to, to return to growth again. And, uh, and it doesn't seem like it's coming from Gilead's internal pipeline. I mean, they, they had a, they did not have a good year when it comes to their internal R&D this year, uh, you know, outside of, outside of hepatitis C and HIV, which is their, you know, their core strength. 
nothing else really sort of captured uh, investors' attention. There really did seem to be a sort of a block at, a block blockbuster sort of product coming out of their own internal R&D. So that naturally leads people to sort of want them to acquire something. Uh, and, and it hasn't happened. So, you know, these are the kind of questions that, you know, when we sit down, everyone sits down at day four, <laughs> you know, in, in January, you know, that those will be the questions that the Gilead executives get, right? Like, who are you going to buy? When are you going to buy something? What are you going to do? And obviously, they've been faced with these questions, you know, for, you know, countless times already. And, uh, and we'll just we'll have to see what happens. Well, we've got uh, a new CEO at Biogen. We've got an opening at Alexion. Any, any yeah. thoughts on leadership changes at the big biotechs? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a good amount of turnover here. Um, you know, Biogen went with an internal candidate. They went with their chief commercial officer, uh, promoted him to the CEO role. Uh, there's sort of mixed views about that, what that meant. You know, did that mean that, you know, they looked in externally and nobody wanted the job or they couldn't find anybody? Uh, you know, Biogen has sort of been a, perennial sort of take out, you know, take out uh, candidate, you know, they might be acquired. What does this mean? Alexion, same kind of issue, you know, look, they have, still haven't filed their queue for the third quarter. Um, the company and sort of its supporters seem to think that, you know, the, the, the executive turnover there, the CEO leaving sort of is unrelated to some of these sort of these other issues that are going on at Alexion. Uh, we'll just have to see who they who they get, you know, to, to run the company as a full time uh, on a full time basis. Um, but yeah, these are jobs. I mean, like you think about it, like big cap biotech CEOs. I mean, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty that's a good job, and that's a you know those are those are scarce jobs, and you kind of want to get some all star talent into into those into those roles. So a year ago, when you were coming out of J P Morgan, the headline on your story read: "A lack of news and buzz at J P M sixteen sinks biotech stocks." Yeah. What's, what's the headline going to be this year? Well, I just hope there's a lot more news. I mean, I feel like. This going, I mean, at least, at least going in this year, expectations are a lot lower, right? We've had, you know, we're sort of coming out of this pretty horrible year. Everyone is happy that 2016 is over. Uh, so you got to think that even if there's just kind of a, even a sort of a small amount of news flow, deal flow, you know, some good news that starts the year, that that, that will get people sort of set on a more positive uh, optimistic mindset for 2017. Now, I, I don't that like some of the structural things that we talked about earlier are necessarily going to go away, uh, but you, you kind of want to see a little bit more progress made. And you know, that was the problem last year was that you know we all you know we were all sitting around at J.P. Morgan you know in 2000 January 2016 and like literally like nothing happened. I mean there was just no no big news, no deals, no no buyouts, no acquisitions, nothing. So that just did not make for a very, uh, you know, this didn't make for a good, a good meeting. So this year, hopefully, I, I hope that companies have banked some good news, you know, stuff that I can write about, you know, on that Monday morning. And you know, we all sort of wake up <laughs> super early on the Monday morning, a JV morning, and, and you know, I open my computer and I'm like, all right, bring me the news. Where, you know, where is it? So I hope that that happens this year. If anyone's out there listening who, you know, has news, put it out. <laughs> Well, with a nod to Meg Terrell, let me say Adam Feuerstein, whose name yeah. I have mispronounced for many years. Adam Feuerstein, senior columnist for TheStreet.com. Adam, thanks as always, and happy and healthy right. 2017. Yeah, happy holidays, Daddy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. 
To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.